morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto, and NFT Tones is joining us on this Friday, Friday the 13th to be exact. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we will be discussing how David Schwartz slams Cardano founder Charles Hoskinson after the SEC's Ethereum favoritism. As Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse explains how leveraging XRP can free up global liquidity, allowing trillions to be unlocked worldwide. Nerd Nation Unbox reveals a document from the Secretary of State website stating that Bitcoin and Ripple are used for terror funding. And with the largest financial firms on the planet shifting to crypto as a new form of payment, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. It's Johnny Crypto. Let's rip, rock, and roll through this introduction because we got some great news prepared for today. How you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Well, Abs, it's a Friday. It's always a great day when it's a Friday. Happy Friday to everybody, no matter what Friday it is. I don't care, 12, 13, 14. It's the start of the weekend. I'm happy. Can't wait to hop into it. Let's get good to see Tones there, too. Uh, good morning, all the Warriors. Love you. Appreciate you. Can't wait to hop into it. Let's go, guys. And we got Tones in the building as well. Tones, how you feeling? Thanks for being here. I'm feeling great. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the news, and I'm excited for the weekend because I finally get my break. Awesome, Tones. And look at that free sponsorship right there. I love the background, at Abs3T. Go and follow it on Instagram, guys. But we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Broke 6,000 followers yesterday, guys. I've been super active, tweeting out four or five times a day. Go smash that follow button if you're looking for daily updates. When we check out some of the daily movers this morning, Johnny Crypto, green bubbles across the board, but it's a little bit misleading. The bubbles are huge, but the market's up about 1%. We've got XRP up 1%, Atom Token 2%, and AVAX up about 1.7%. And we are actually having, I forgot that we need our Merlin Market Update pulled up, guys. So we're going to dive right into our stories for today and address that later in the episode. Last night, Charles Hodgkinson gave his take on the Ethereum gate speculation calling out the $15 million that Hinman received, and even addressing the fact that he thinks there was only favoritism, not corruption. I guess this didn't sit well with uh, Ripple CTO David Schwartz as he responded to Charles on Twitter yesterday. He said, I would argue that a government actor showing favoritism aligned with the personal interests of themselves and their friends is corruption. And Johnny, I'm going to read it one more time and kick it to you. David Schwartz said yesterday, I would argue that a government actor showing favoritism aligned with the personal interests of themselves and their friends is corruption. And I couldn't agree more, Johnny. So with that being said, how do you feel about David Schwartz publicly responding to Charles? And you know what? He's taking my side. Now, I actually think David must watch our show. I think he does, because if you watch the show yesterday, that's exactly what I said. You can't have a government agency not be objective government agencies cannot pick sides they can't be favorite they have to stick with something they have to say this is the rule and that's it you can't in the minute you favor one side or the other i literally said that yes that that's corrupt <laughs> it's gotta be corruption i freaking love that i i, I wonder if david's watching abs this is good maybe we can get him on the show who knows so i have to open an article and go through the details johnny but i got one quick question before we do Charles is defending the conspiracies. Do you believe he's guilty before we dive into the details? 
Uh, guilty of what? Let's guilty let's of keep... conspiring with the SEC to get Ethereum, I guess, a free pass to be uh, leverages not a security. So you think he was part of the whole Joe Lubin thing? Is that what yep. you're saying? Uh, when did that all happen? What was that? 2018, 2017? 20, 2018 was the him in speech, but it goes all the way back to 2015. Yeah, because he left in 20. Charles left in 2014. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, maybe he left because he knew this was going on. Who knows? I don't know, man. It's hard to say if I, if he was going to be involved in this, why not stick around and get a payday out of it? I don't know. It's a very good question. It's hard to say. Uh, and we're going to get into it right now, guys. We got 215 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is an article we're going to show later in the episode as well. SBI is working with the UAE's Trade Finex to set up a joint crypto venture in Japan. And they've already confirmed they're going to be leveraging the XDC network. So more tokenization news. Amazing stuff for XDC. And Johnny, this is the article that was published yesterday. Ripple CTO slams Charles Hoskinson over the SEC's favoritism. But let's actually go back to this video from Brad Garlinghouse. And this is something that people have been brought up in the past. What is Ripple's sole purpose here, guys? On-demand liquidity. It's the first thing they talk about when you talk about Ripple services. And Brad Garlinghouse right here explains why that service is so valuable. I fundamentally believe that where crypto is headed, where blockchain is headed, for a lot of macro factors, the wind is at our back. And you know, where we, if we just look at profitability today, yeah, it's, it's a lot harder to have a profitable business with, you know, less liquidity today, prices where they are, that's harder. But if you look at where I think the world is going to be a little bit further out, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about where, what that looks like. Call me the optimist, call me naive, call me all those things, but I've been more right than I've been wrong. I mean, Ripple's in a very good position, so uh, I, I feel good about that bet. And we're going to continue to invest and hire more people and acquire more companies. Uh, because I believe where the world is going. Johnny, and I'm going to show a video later in the show where Ripple actually sponsored an Algorand event as well. So Ripple's got money to spend and they're spending it accordingly. Now that the $200 are in their back pocket, the SEC, they're, the, they're in the history books, as they say. The monkey is off their back. This is what Ripple's doing with their new funds. They're expanding their reach. They're acquiring companies, but also they're sponsoring crypto events worldwide and becoming a part of the most important conversation. So what do you take away from Brad's statements before we move on? Well, I think Brad's a very smart guy. Brad's got a lot of money in the bank now. Of course, they'll have to pay some of that to the SEC. And then he see, he has a vision. He sees what's coming, and they know what they want to bolt onto the company they grow. That's why I love Ripple, the company, so much. And I've said several times on this show that I think Ripple and Coin and Coin um, uh, Coinbase could be two of the biggest companies that come out of this thing in the future the way the Amazons and the Red Hats and the Yahoo's and all that came out of the dot-com. I really, truly mean that when I say that, that I think Ripple is going to be in such a great position to be a big, big player in the space because they got a lot of money, they're in it early, and they've got a good technology, and, and they kind of just know. I mean, they spent a lot of money to fight for this. They could have been out, we're out, but no, they didn't. They stuck around for a reason, Abs. They're going to be very, very... I think Ripple's going to be one of the biggest players in this space in the future. I'm very excited about that. And by the way, you can get, you know, a lot of people buying the the pre-IPO stuff, you know, that their their price has gone up big time in the pre-IPO um, ever since they've been available link to and in and other places. So, yeah, very, very people see it, man. People are not blind to the fact that Ripple has a big part to play in this. 
There's two things we're going to highlight throughout this episode, Johnny. One, there are structural changes happening in the banking system as we speak. But number two, Ripple and their ODL system, as well as their CBDCs, are going to be a key player. And Forbes agreed with what you just said. Forbes spotlighted the benefits of Ripple's CBDC platform and the Palu stablecoin in their new case study. And this is an article we're going to be covering later in the episode. But this line, I think it ties perfectly into what you were just saying. Ripple is currently occupying a position in the CBDC race. They might see as many as 30 different countries and central banks tap into its services in the near future. How near? That's what we're going to show right now. As Swift and Cybos, they had some interesting conversations explaining how this year in November, banks are shifting and uh, going to begin leveraging ISO protocols. Here we go. It's the even pay fits uh, the tracker on behalf of the community. That brings a lot of uh, value. First, the banks uh, have less burden to make uh, this happen. Second, we can do it uh, easier and faster than they, they can do it because we have the latest information. Uh, and, and this uh, proof of concept works uh, really well. In less than two minutes, we make uh, these transactions happen, including the, the settlement. So what we have demonstrated that we are prepared our systems are prepared. The, the banks at the other side of the world are prepared and they are willing to, uh, to make this happen. And uh, starting on uh, November 28th, Europe uh, will have the rails open to this one leg out. So uh, what we should do is deliver. Johnny, this is SWIFT discussing right now. This isn't just somebody. This isn't some small player. This is the largest transaction mechanism on the planet right now, discussing how in November of this year, they're going to make a shift and start leveraging instant payments. I'm not saying Ripple is going to be the only player, but Ripple will be a player. And we're going to highlight that throughout the episode. How does it feel right now that we're sitting in November of 2023 and these changes, they're already underway? You know, Swift is 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 in trouble or they're the, they're the king of the hill. But if they don't, you know, what was that? Adapt or die, right? If they don't switch over to blockchain technology and find a way to do it, they know they're they're done. They're finito. They're over, right? And you, and you heard him say that. And he also said something that I like to say all the time. You know, he said it was cheaper and faster, right? Cheaper, better. What do I say all the time? Companies are always looking for cheaper and better solutions, Abs. And that's what the blockchain here technology is going to allow. And so for me, it's just a matter of seeing where these whole things are going to play out. Where, how are they going to, actually, let me rephrase. I'm looking to see how all these things are going to coexist together. What's that coexistence look like? You know, does Ripple own 90% of it? Or, or I meant, sorry, does Swift end up keeping 90% of what they have and Ripple takes 10%? Um, we all know that Swift, yes, we know Swift is a dinosaur tech, but that's not the point. They're changing their tech over into, or they're adopting or switching over to the new tech. And so if they're going to switch over and they have all the 11,000 banking relationships already, they're in a really prime position to be able to keep what they've got and switch it over to the to the latest technology. If I were them, I would just partner with Ripple. But apparently we haven't heard really much news about that. It seems like they want to go about it themselves and do it their own way or go a different path. So we'll have to just see what that looks like. Thank you, Johnny. And sorry about that long, awkward pause there. I was stuck on this video on the other screen. We got 280 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and NFT tones. I got to go to you for an opinion. But before we do, we're going to play a video out of R3 explaining how they began leveraging XRP because it was the simplest mechanism to use. Classic ecosystem, which kind of leads to my next point. So we've had some recent announcements um, that have garnered some interest. We created a payment settlement application that's open source. Anybody can download it. Anybody can use it or plug into it or what have you. 
And when we first did it, we did it for XRP, for the Ripple protocol standard. And that got a lot of people very excited that, oh my God, uh, R3 and Ripple have settled their differences and are in bed together. No, not quite. Um, it's just that it was very easy to do as a uh, um, kind of as an MVP. But now we've uh, we announced a uh, partnership with uh, with uh, Swift. So Swift GPI will plug into our payment settlement uh, application, or actually vice versa. We'll plug into the GPI network. Um, and again, the the announcement about the Swiss digital exchange uh, was a big news for us. Blasted ecosystem. So Johnny, what I took away from that video is that they used it not because they're shaking hands behind the scenes. It was the simplest to plug into, and it was the easiest to transact with. Obviously, in the beginning, it's more about relationships, but I think there's going to be a natural movement into better technologies, and Ripple's developing some of the best technology in the market today. So what do you take away from this? It's an older video from 2019, but R3 is discussing why they leveraged XRP. It's the best product in the market. Yeah, I think certainly at that time, back then, four years ago, it was by far the most far and advanced technology out there, and people were leveraging it. And you know, he said exactly what I was hoping, right? Everybody wants to see R3 and and uh you know come together with ripple and that that relationship fell apart unfortunately and i think you know i don't think we're going to see that coming together but you are you know at the end of the day swift has to do something so you know to be able to survive this thing and uh, and so certainly they'll part i think they're partnering with with link or chain link or something to do some changes there and, and i think you're going to see you know the r3 quarter system abs we know that that thing is heavily embedded or, or you know JP Morgan and the Onk system, there was a lot of relationship and works going on there between them and R3 and Consensus. And those are the systems that are out there that I think are all going to compete for this space. I think we should watch that Stuart Alderati video yesterday that we produced yesterday just one more time. Here's 30 seconds explaining how XRP has a unique situation when it comes to United States utility. XRP, clarity in the U.S., and XRP is a digital token that's now uniquely classified as a non-security in the U.S. But we don't think, even though we won in the courts, we don't think that these issues should be fought token by token, case by case, judge by judge. We think we need a rational regulatory framework. But to your question, uh, although we have some policymakers in the U.S. trying to take the lead to come up with a rational, with rational regulatory policy proposals, the chances of anything moving forward in this Congress or the next Congress um, doesn't seem to. I, I'm not very optimistic about it. So, Tones, I'm going to ask you, with XRP being the only digital asset that has legal clarity in the United States, Bitcoin, it's a matter of opinion. XRP, it's written in law. When do you think we're going to start seeing institutions take advantage of that and maybe leverage some of this technology? Stuart Alderati just said he's not optimistic about this Congress. He's not optimistic about 2025 either. What do you think? I think personally, what I think is I think they're going to subconsciously start to program us, start to get us looking at crypto so that then they can on so that then they can bring it into the world and bring it onto us kind of when they want. So I think this could be another couple years out. I think they're trying to program us so we know what's coming, so we know what to be ready for. And I think that this is just a couple years away. I think within the next five years, we'll start to see massive institution adoption with XRP having legal clarity now. I mean, it's only time before we start to see these institutions adopt XRP and other cryptocurrencies as they start to get more legal clarity too. I've got a great video prepared. And it's actually an article discussing how Google Bard, the AI project predicted could actually hit six dollars if this one catalyst is reached but before we dive into that 
What were your thoughts while you were watching the Stuart Alderati video yesterday? Oh, I think that at the end of the day, I mean, he, he nailed it spot on that, that now XRP is one of the only cryptos out there that has full clarity. Basically, what he was saying was to all the companies out there, like, guys, there's, there's no excuse. He's basically saying there's no excuse to not work with us anymore. There's no excuse to not work with Ripple, the company, or XRP, the technology, because that whole monkey of the back of, you know, are they, are they security? Are they not security? Is this going to be a problem to work with? That's gone. He's basically saying the doors are open. We're open for business. And uh, and, and, and that that is the message he's setting out there. That's the message that I hope people receive because that's what's going to be needed for people to start adopting and using their technology. People have to feel like the SEC isn't going to come knocking on their door. That's that's just you know that's that's always the biggest fear. All these companies say they're not, you know, you when we when we listen to a lot of videos of people commenting about why they stayed away from Ripple. The biggest thing during the past three years was we don't want to we don't want to get anywhere near the SEC or right? anything to do with the SEC. But now that the SEC has made it, you know, has lost this case, uh, the reality is abs, I think you're going to see companies are now going to start saying, you know, start working with them. And and I think Ripple has to go out and they also have to be touting that. It's awesome that Stuart came out and said that. You always hear them talking about, hey, we're not a security. In fact, we're the only ones who aren't a security. That's probably how they open up most of their meetings with the, co with the companies they're talking to right now is, Hey guys, we're clear. Anybody else you work with could be in trouble, but we got the clarity we need. That's a huge advantage for them. And I'm really surprised. Well, what I don't know is I, you know, I would be surprised if they aren't signing a bunch more NDAs now, now that this is over, I would love to know that number, but nobody, you know, that's inside information. So we're probably not gonna be able to find out. So this is what's interesting about that Google Bard article. This is an article from a Google AI. It's called Google Bard. First of all, we got 334 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And thank you for being here on this Friday. Are you nervous, guys? I want to ask the live chat. Are you nervous? It's Friday the 13th. There's a lot of conspiracies out there. I'm feeling pretty good this morning, so I got good energy. But to the potential of Ripple's impact off the victory coming in April, that's what the Google AI was discussing in this article. It says the case is set for trial in April of 2024. And after doing some research, they typically last about four to six weeks, according to Jeremy Hogan. Bard suggests that the XRP price could exp experience a significant surge, reaching a price between $2.50 and $3 if Ripple clinches an ultimate victory. Now, why, why do I love this article? It's AI. That's the only reason, Johnny. So that's the only reason we're discussing it this morning. It's predicting $2.50 to $3, but you just broke it down yourself. Do you anticipate we're going to get a lot more American adoption once there's a final stamp on this trial in April? Um, uh, you know, I think, don't forget after there's uh this trial in April, they could still appeal at that point, remember? And so they'll still be that piece of it and to see where that goes. So just the way we got the interlocutory appeal decision that was rejected. I think if the appeal decision on that at the end of this case gets rejected, then yeah, I mean, now it's now, now there's like, so right now, you look at it and companies may be saying to themselves, oh, there's a 90% chance, you know, you're going to win this thing. There's still 10% could be appealed or whatever, some percentage in their heads, right? Because they know that the, the SEC has one, one appeal left. But when that appeal is gone, then yeah, then the, there's no doubt remaining. So if there are any companies that were worried or still on the fence, abs, they may still be waiting. And so I think that'll drive some in, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be enough. That's going to drive it from 40 cents to 250. I don't think so. 
The only way we're getting to 250, in my opinion, and it doesn't matter where we are with the loss. I mean, I mean, where we are today, based on where we are today, without that changing, is a liquidity event. We need a major liquidity event to drive this thing. I've been saying that for a while, and I think that we're going to get it with the BTC ETF. First, that will come in. A lot of money will flood into BTC. That'll drive BTC up. I don't think everything else is going to drive up at once. It's going to be like the way it works, right? Then we'll flow from BTC to, to the altcoins at a later point in time. And I think that's when you start talking and seeing prices of 250 and below uh, above in XRP. Because abs, don't forget, I know nobody wants to believe this because we're here so early. It feels like we're still in a speculative stage. We are not anywhere near full adoption, guys. There's nowhere near it. I mean, you know, I think Amazon's and stuff started uh, evolving or coming together in 1996 or 95. And if you look at the chart, you know, by 2001, it had gone through its complete speculative bubble and all the way back down to original pricing again. It didn't really come to fruition until 20 years later. So you have to remember, we're going to be kind of living somewhat of that same curve. You said a lot there, and you bounced in a lot of different directions, Johnny, but this is what I want to bring you back to. John Reed Stark talking about the impact of an official ruling in April of 2024, and this is what's so important about the XRP ruling. The SEC will most likely appeal, at least according to a former official, and here's what he had to say. He says he agrees to disagree on the legal impact of Judge Torres' rulings, but you also seem to be saying that XRP uniquely stands as the only digital asset other than Bitcoin with judicial clarity as a non-security. There. We are on the same page. So think about that. Even a former SEC official is admitting right now, Johnny, that it's a matter of law. XRP is not a security. But what he is anticipating is we will get an appeal next year. This topic, it's not that exciting, guys. Let's move on to some better stuff. No, but that's what I was saying, Abs. That's exactly what I was saying is I think there are some companies that still feel there's a one more. We all know there's one appeal left in the end of well, when this thing comes to and that close, whenever it is. And remember, April. If I remember correctly, that was just the date where the judge set for them to get together and try to come together and work it out with a settlement, right? Now, if we get the settlement, great. We're over in April. It's a win. And then that could be a big victory. And yes, we will probably get in a little, little pump and dump that happened last time, right? I don't know if it'll double. But if we don't get a settlement, they go to court in that last six months or a year, and then they appeal. You know, I see this could drag on for a while. And, uh, you know, for Ripple's sake, I hope that doesn't happen. If I'm Ripple, I want to be making a settlement in April. I'm like, I'm getting this thing over with. Get this thing door close, close the door, shut this thing behind me, and not even have the guys like what the attorneys to be able to even say, hey, there's another appeal coming. I don't want that. I don't want that narrative out there. So if I'm Ripple, I'm closing the door and I'm settling. Does that make sense? It definitely does. And this is some other breaking news out of the crypto industry. We talk a lot about XRP, but Ethereum, this is the company that has the relationships. MasterCard is using a wrapped CBDC trial, and they claimed it was a success unlocking the potential to buy NFTs on Ethereum and much more. Johnny Crypto, once again, we're seeing a massive company begin to leverage Ethereum. JP Morgan did it. Uh, MasterCard did it. We've also seen Visa doing it. Ethereum is going to be a key player over the next five years, regardless of what happens with ETHgate. I really believe this, guys. So in the latest update on October 12th, MasterCard partnered with the Reserve Bank of Australia and the Digital Finance Corporation Research Center for CBDC groundbreaking trial involving two companies, where they're minting assets on the ledger. This live test allowed a CBDC holder to buy an Ethereum NFT, and the process secured, moved the pilot CBDC to Ethereum, and showed robust control mechanisms on public blockchains. They're talking about easy access, 
using MasterCard to buy NFTs on Ethereum. These types of headlines are going to become huge for new investors in this market. Johnny, please elaborate. Don't spend too much time here because we got some other great stories too. Well, we got the NFT king here, so you know he may have some comments a bit better. Tell than him, me. Jump right in. All <laughs> right. So yeah, I I definitely think this is huge news. I mean, buying NFTs before and all that stuff, it was a pain in the butt. I mean, if you really think about it, it was such a hard process. You had to send money over, and it, you had to go through a wallet, and it was a pain in the butt. Now, if you can really do this with a Mastercard right on your credit card to your wallet and it will make it a thousand times easier, I promise you. And this will allow a lot more people to actually get involved with NFTs and stuff like that. And it will allow a lot more people to actually get a hands-on experience because most people don't want to buy NFTs or crypto because of how difficult it is. So if they can streamline this process and make it a thousand times easier, I think this will definitely help people get more involved into crypto and NFTs. Johnny, one other thing, I think people are underestimating the impact NFTs could have during this next cycle because everybody thinks it's going to be JPEGs again, right? It's just going to be cartoon frogs and we're paying $30,000 for these things. <laughs> no, what I think with that COVID cough is that uh, big companies like JetBlue and others are going to start leveraging NFTs to give their, their customers unique opportunities like 10% off if you own a JetBlue NFT. We'll see it in the gaming world as well. But we talk a lot about gaming. I think real world companies like Amazon, like Apple, like JetBlue, like MasterCard, that's where the real company and the real uh, consumers, that's where they spend their everyday payments. So what do you think about that, Johnny? Well, to me, what's really fascinating about this whole article is nobody's talking about it is look at the words before NFT, CBDC trial. <laughs> that's what this was really yeah, about. If you, if you look at it here and nobody's even talking about that, this is the ultimate marriage of the final game. This is this, using a CBDC to buy a tokenized asset. Does that sound familiar? Or what the future is going to look like? Right. I mean, this is literally the future. This is it. You're going to use your, you're going to use your, and again, you're going to use, see, think about how brilliant this is. People don't want to change, right? And I always told you this. Cryptocurrencies and technology will be stuff that happen in the background. To the foreground, if a consumer is just buying something with their credit card, does that feel any different than what they're doing today? But yet behind the scenes, what do you see? All the technology working in the background, all these things we've been talking about for three years, all this stuff is going to live in the background. And it's just cheaper, better, faster ways to get things done so that, you know, you can use a CBC and it, and it ties to your, you know, tokenization. And that thing will probably you know, be linked to you somehow. So that it shows up somewhere under, your MasterCard account, which will probably be linked to your wallet, which will be linked to your phone. So everything just shows up there. And it's going to become, I think it's going to simplify and make lives a lot easier for people. But there's also the downside risk, you know, which we talk all the time on the other side of, about CBDCs. But nonetheless, that's what you're witnessing here, Abs. You're witnessing the whole entire holistic ecosystem just happen in a trial right here by, my, by MasterCard. What do you think comes first, mass accessibility to crypto companies like Visa and MasterCard leveraging this tech or regulation in the United States? Because I think a lot of people are waiting for regulation to start utilizing these assets. <clears throat> well, I, I wouldn't say people. People aren't waiting. People have no clue. Companies, companies like MasterCard and them, they're doing these studies right now. They're learning these things. And then they're either having conversations with regulatory agents to make sure they could do this. And if they can't, then they're going to pick up the phone. They're going to go to the lobbyists. They're going to Congress. They're going to get regulation passed so they could do this. 
They ain't doing this without one or the other. They either need to get a blessing from regulatory that this is cool to do, or they're going to figure out, or they'll meet with Congress to get regulation. So one of those two things, those conversations are probably happening right now with these large companies. There's no doubt about it. They have to be. Interesting. Tones, I want to kick it to you for some thoughts as well. What are your thoughts on the MasterCard article? Ah, so like I said, I definitely think this is big. I mean, NFTs are definitely just scratching the surface. I think we're going to have an NFT bull run. Definitely. I mean, we have, we're going to have NFTs for houses, cars, NFTs are going to have so many use cases that we have just barely scratched the surface, as I've been saying. And I think within the next couple of years, maybe even during the next bull run, we could really start to see NFTs take off with houses and other things. And I mean, even our IDs are going to probably be NFTIs so that we'll always have them with us. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things being turned into NFTs and tokenized. And I think that this will be really important for the future. And we got 339 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're about to walk you through the Ripple CTO, a.k.a. David Schwartz, slams Charles Hodgkinson over his SEC favoritism take. And this is what's interesting. We're debating what is corruption? What is favoritism? Well, David Schwartz had a great response here. So the Ripple community and Cardano's founder have clashed over the definition of corruption in the context of the ETHgate scandal. David Schwartz has countered the Cardano founder's comments about the possible motives behind the United States regulars' determination that Ethereum is not a security. Cardano founder Charles Hoskinson addressed the much-debated ETHgate theory in an AMA session on October 8th, arguing that the government actions were not about corruption. Instead, Hoskinson said that Hinman's speech uh, drafts on the regulatory status of Ethereum do not prove corruption, but instead favoritism. This is a quote from Charles. None of the activity presupposes corruption, just favoritism, Hoskins argued in the AMA, adding that this is how the internet works and it can't be fixed now. The Cardano founder emphasized that there has been no evidence proving anything apart from favoritism by the SEC. Another quote from Charles, what evidence do you have of that? Where are the emails? Where are the meetings? He also argued that XRP serves different customers and doesn't have smart contracts. So it's an entirely different business model than Ethereum. Uh, he also went on to elaborate how it doesn't dilute the XRP argument, but this is what I wanted to comment on as well. David Schwartz responded in a tweet that said, I would argue that a government actor showing favoritism aligned with his personal interests of themselves or their friends is corruption. So saying the word corruption in a, is a polite way of calling it favoritism. So he's actually indicating Charles... You're involved here. You may be involved in the skepticism. And this is the connection that we can draw to Charles and Ethereum. So Charles was part of the eight co-founders of Ethereum alongside Vitalik Buterin and even served as Ethereum CEO between 2013 and 2014 before going on to found Cardano, Johnny. There's a lot of information in that article. So I just want to kick it to you for an open take and I'll ask some questions after. I mean, there you go right there. I mean, you, you heard, you can see why. And this actually happened with Ripple too. McCaleb and Larson had a falling out, and McCaleb left Ripple to start XLM, right, which is a competitor to Ripple. And then you've got, or XRP, and then you've got Charles leaving Ethereum, starts Cardano, which is a competitor to, to Ethereum. And, and, and so you kind of see this happening a lot in this space. And that's why I've always wondered, you know, was Charles corrupt in this thing? He left early on because he had a falling out. I don't think he has any love whatsoever for free theorem i'm surprised to some degree that he's even defending them it makes no sense and frankly in my opinion 
if a government agency is given favoritism, that's I agree with Swart. I mean, yeah, I think he agrees with me. I said yes. Like, to me, that's a form of corruption. I don't know what Charles is talking about. How do you come out and say, well, that's favoritism and not corruption? I mean, I, I obviously Charles has a different definition in his head of what favoritism is versus corruption. And I don't know what it is. I'm not going to sit here and try to speculate. All I know is I don't agree with him. I, to me, you can't have favoritism as a government agency. That is corruption, in, in my opinion. So I 100% agree with Swartz. It's not fair. It's not right. Now, what he said about it can't be fixed, that's a whole other story. Can or cannot be fixed? I, I don't know, right? I mean, can we get favoritism out There's of my concern? Does it make you concerned about ADA? I don't, I've never resonated a lot with Charles. I never really loved his AMAs or his hot takes. But one of the things that I did think is that ADA had the most developers on the planet and that gave them a unique advantage in this market. It's interesting. As much as they've got developers, Johnny, they're not getting a lot of utility. Not a lot of users are plugging into ADA and using the smart contracts. They continue to choose Ethereum. There's other better competitors. Even Algorand is better than Cardano in many people's opinion. What do you think? Are you concerned? Yeah, I mean, I I was in the same camp as you. I liked Cardano for two reasons. One, because I thought at the time Charles had left, he knew the weaknesses of the Ethereum technology because he created it. He was one of the eight developers. And I thought he would leave and he would fix those problems. Kind of like what we did with Merlin, right? We learned the problems of the, of the other companies, the other trackers, and we fixed them. We made our program better. I thought Cardano, Charles Hogsett, was going to do the same thing with Cardano. That was number one. I figured he knew where all the weaknesses were. He could fix it. Number two, they had, when I started getting out, they had the most developers in GitHub. People were all over it. They liked it. And I think it was for maybe the same reasons. But since then, you're right. It's been very slow to see adoption, very slow to see things happening. And to me, it makes me wonder, you know, does Cardano even have a chance? I, I, I don't know. I think Ethereum is so far got their hooks set into this thing. I mean, we just read the MasterCard article. I don't know if, you know, if you read that in detail. They talked about CBDC trial for NFTs leveraging Ethereum. I mean, that's all you need to know. CBDCs and Ethereum, they're going to be there for a long while. I think Ethereum is, has cemented themselves in into the into the basis uh, or the fundamental for, you know, layer ones of, of crypto. And I don't think they're going anywhere, man. I, I don't. I, yeah, I think Cardano is in trouble. Did you know that Charles was the CEO of the Ethereum Foundation back in 2014? Did you know that? No, I knew that he was. Um, I knew he was one of the earlier developers in it, one of the higher end, higher end code developers. I didn't know he was the actual CEO. That's very very fascinating. And apparently, you know, like the McCaleb situation, right? They had a falling out, I've, and I heard that you know the reason why Charles left was because he wanted it. He wanted to go in a different direction than the way they were going with the code. And he probably maybe saw some of these things and, and maybe was a better visionary. And said, okay, let's go this way. And they didn't want to. And that's why he went left and started Cardano. But, you know, it just it seems like he hasn't gotten any traction. But, no, I didn't know he was CEO, but I knew he was one of the key developers there. After meeting David Schwartz at the XRP event, there's one thing I can take away from him. He doesn't speak up unless it's absolutely necessary. So the fact that he even addressed this on Twitter – I think it was very validating for us. These types of conversations are important. And people are saying, we don't care about what Charles has to say. It's important, guys. It's important to discuss how was Ethereum founded? What is Charles' role? Why is he so adverse to accepting what happened with Ethereum gate? We saw the $15 million that was accepted by Hinman, and we saw the speech that preceded it. So I don't think there's a lot to really even debate when it comes to that topic. But let's move on to something else that's involved with Ripple. As well. But what we didn't see, 
is we don't know if Charles made a payday on that. That's what we, that's, if that comes out and Charles made a payday, then he's, you know, obviously he's guilty as hell, right? And that's, this happened so many years after he left that I would be surprised to see if he was involved because it happened so many years later, Abs, and he left so early on. But who knows? You know, I, I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see what what it is. But I would love to know, like what you just said, that is the key question is, why does he still have a love for Cardano or, or why is he defending it? I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it'll play out always. The truth comes out in due time, Johnny. But we're going to get into this article right here. As Forbes spotlighted the benefits of Ripple's CBDC platform and the Palu stablecoin during a new case study. And I highlighted this earlier in the episode. They're currently working with 30 central banks on developing a CBDC. Interoperability, that's where XRP comes in. So the key benefits of Palu's stablecoin, at least according to the Forbes article, is financial inclusion is one of the most significant benefits of a national stablecoin or CBDC project. And the public of Palu, is it's mainly cash transactions. Not even a lot of people use credit cards. So with CBDC, it's actually a very easy step for them to track these transactions. With settlement costs growing considerably, especially over the last couple of years, CBDCs will bring a transformation in this regard, helping to lower the costs and both settlement and the costs of these transactions. Now, the two key takeaways, once again, financial inclusion, cost efficiency. We're going to continue to hear that over the next couple of years. Johnny, here's two other stats, and then I'm going to kick it to you in tones. Ripple has helped build the CBDC infrastructure and power many innovations to help improve its overall use cases. Besides the launch of Palu's stablecoin, several innovations have been added, including wallet-to-wallet feature integrated back in August. Ripple is currently occupying a position in the CBDC race, and they might see as many as 30 different central banks tap into its services in the near future. Focusing on a robust infrastructure, user education, offline wallets and scalability and adaptability, as well as regulatory compliance were the key takeaways for the central banks to use here. And guys, we got 381 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and answer me this in the live chat. Put a one in the live chat if you think we're going to see a Ripple CBDC during 2024. Put a two if you're going to think it's if you think it's going to take a couple more years. But Johnny, 30 central banks, many key takeaways from this project. Is this what you're excited to see about XRP and Ripple's development worldwide? Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. This is super bullish, right? To see them leveraging Ripple's technology to run the CBDC. The to me, that's what they set out to do. And and they're doing it right. And you got 30, you know, if you can get 30 central banks running, and I think that that's you know what about 10, 15% of the central banks out there, it's a good start. It's a really good start. So I, I would love to see that that come to fruition there because then that tells us that again, I never thought there'd be one system that's gonna run all the banks, central banks. Um, but if we get to a point where there is, you know, where there where there's two or three systems that coexist to, to run them all, and Ripple's one of them. That's that to me is what I'm expecting, I, and that would be a very very good day, I think, for all of us. I think we'd see a good, you know, the price would appreciate. And remember, it's all about that total trade volume. We need to get that total, you know, the market cap of of XRP will will end up becoming when we get into the utility phase, whatever the utility is that's needed for daily volume trading. Uh, outside of retail expense. And that's what that's going to set the price. So the more central banks to get on this, the more volume that's traded, the better price appreciation we're going to see in the long run. So I get excited about that. And if you tell them, floor is yours. All right. So, I mean, if you think about this, this is just 30 banks, right? And this is what they're telling us. We don't know what's really happening behind the scenes. They could have even more banks. They could have more partnerships. I mean, look at R3. I mean, they weren't even in 
partnership with Ripple and they were still using their technology. There could be stuff like this going around on all over the world, right? There could be multiple CBDCs being uh, worked on just using the Ripple technology and then they're going to work with some other partner, right? And bring it up. So there could be multiple CBDCs being worked on. I think we'll be seeing a CBDC at least within the next couple of years. I'm excited to hear that news, Tones, because Bob Way, one of the founders at Ripple, says something very important. He says, it only takes two corridors. Right now we have Singapore. We just need one other major corridor to start leveraging this technology and every other system will be at a disadvantage, guys. We got 378 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, I want to tie this into the uh, to the Ripple trial that's taking place in April. When we go back to this Google Bard article, the AI predicted XRP to hit $6 if this happens in 2024. Well, what was the key thing that they need to happen? An ending of the Ripple lawsuit. They're anticipating we could go to $250 to $3 easily if Ripple clinches a victory against the SEC. Are you anticipating that to be a catalyst for adoption when it comes to XRP in the U.S.? April of 2024, Remember what Waters said, the astrology also points to it being a very, very impactful month. I mean, it's certainly, I, I think the adoption conversations are happening right now. I, I don't think we're waiting until April, if you want my opinion. They're, they're, I, you know, they're not just saying, oh, we're going to wait until April. Nobody do none. Everybody sit tight. Nobody works until April. No, that's not happening. Ripple right now is out there having the conversations. They're trying to get the technology. These things take time. Abs. This is technology. You've got to get, you've got to sit down. You've got to have, when we're working, they, like I'm in the technology field, when we're working with other companies to try and get them to adopt that technology, put them in, sometimes those conversations go six months to a year just to get them, just to get a contract signed, to work out all the details, to share all the information, let them talk to their management, see if they want to try it and get all that just stuff takes time, right? And those conversations are happening now as we speak. They've been happening the difference is now with the lawsuit, they're going to happen much faster. And many more of them will happen now because the companies who weren't willing to talk to Ripple before are probably willing to talk to them now. And now they're probably a very busy company now. They're probably having a lot of great conversations with a lot of companies. They're probably signing a lot of NDAs. And they're going to go into this next phase, in my opinion, of people trying out their technology, trying out their product, and seeing how it improves you know, our companies trying out their technology and seeing how it improves their bottom line, their businesses, cost efficiency. That's going to be number one. Cheaper, better. Been saying all along. You know, and Ripple's out there saying our, our product is cheaper and better. Okay, well, guess what? Companies aren't going to take your word for it. They're going to test it. They're going to try it. And if they confirm it is, then the real contracts get signed. And that's probably still a year or two years or even more away. But those things, I think those conversations are happening now in April. What will happen is whether or not we get the lawsuit or not, you got the having coming in and yes. liquidity coming in. And to me, that's what's going to drive the price up. But that's going to be, a, again, as I said earlier, I believe that's going to be more of a speculative bump versus a utility bump. Now, will we hear one or two contracts? Hey, you know, this company signed. Yeah, maybe. And that will be great. And that's only going to add to even more excitement to pump the price up even higher if we do get that kind of news. And it's possible we could get a few of those as well. Jones, let me let me add something before I kick it to you. Right now, 94% of Bitcoin hasn't moved in a month. 80% of Bitcoin in circulation hasn't moved in six. Sorry, 80% of the Bitcoin that's been held for over six months has not moved. So what does that tell me? People are buying their Bitcoin. They're holding it for the long term. And that can be considered individuals, could be companies. It could even be governments 
like we've seen in Venezuela. So what do you think is going to happen in 2024? We've talked about the numerology. We've talked about the catalyst. What's on your mind? Mute button, mute button. I mean, why would people sell if they're holding it for the long term? I mean, think about it. I mean, with all this speculation and all the possibility that Bitcoin could go to a million dollars, right? I mean, of course, people are going to want to hold on to it and sit on to it because they don't know what could really happen to it. I mean, I'm sitting on my own Bitcoin because God forbid, if it does go to a million dollars, I want to be sitting on it. I'm not going to be touching my Bitcoin beforehand. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just having that upwards possibility and having the faith and having the possibility and having the faith in the technology, because what it really is, is we're really praying and hoping that this technology goes for the long run and that it will stay here. Right. And I mean, from what we can see with everything going on, this technology is here for the long term. And we saw it yesterday, Johnny. It's not all going to end up in XRP. Even if we get 10% of this emerging market, that is huge. And that is generational wealth. We got 385 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And yesterday, we covered an article between Microsoft, Visa, Google, and Algorand. Well, here's a ripple connection to Algorand as well. The technology that can solve some of the world's most intractable problems exists. How do you use it in a way, again, that benefits the common good? It's there. Seek it out and use it. I want to thank, with gratitude, for the support by our sponsors of the UNGA uh, Blockchain Central this year. Accenture, Hogan Levels, Ripple, BXC, Shadows in the Dark, and the World Identity Network. Okay, guys, let's go through this slowly. Accenture, Ripple, the World Identity Network, and Algorand are are conglomerates in this sponsored event, Johnny. This is important. We have to connect the dots. You can't just take it for what it is. The World Identity Network being a part of these conversations is not a coincidence. What do you take away from Ripple, Ethereum with Accenture, and Algorand collaborating in this think tank? Why are you leaving out Hogan's Lobos? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Never <man>. heard of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Me neither. But no, those are some very, <laughs> those are some very big, powerful names there. I mean, you're, you're, you know, again, what I talk about all the time is it's all about relationship building. This is where everything starts, and being able to, you know, they're all sitting at the table, they're all having these conversations. This is this shows you these are the active companies. That are going to get stuff done and Accenture is huge right so you know working with them abs again a more just bullish bullish um news as we continue to see these things happening you want to see you know the companies you're invested in being at the forefront of leading these conversations and building those relationships and making contacts and that's you know what's going to come out of these kinds of events so i think again ripple's putting themselves in a position to be a big player in this space in the long run. Sorry, there's a couple of other projects that we're going to address as well. And this is a big one. We got our friend Quincy Jones, who's a developer for XDC, whether he's on the camera or off the camera, he's talking about the utility of this project constantly. And it's not a coincidence that one of the smartest minds in our space actually navigated from the XRPL into the XDC network, Johnny. So as we go through this article, keep that in mind. SBI works with UAE's Trade Finex to set up a joint crypto venture in Japan. SBI Holdings will work with the UAE firm Trade Finex on a Japanese joint venture to boost the adoption of its enterprise blockchain platform 
on the XDC network. And in this article, there's no speculation here, Johnny. The XDC token will be used in the trade FinEx protocols. And this organization is connected to some of the largest companies and conglomerates on the planet. Trade FinEx has been involved in collaborations with the World Trade Organization, the International Chamber of Commerce, and various government agencies to explore blockchain as a means of overhaul for speed, transparency, costs, and traceability for trade finance. What are we seeing in this collaboration, Johnny? They are using it for digital contracts. Blockchain-based trade products such as uh, invoice letters, letters of credit, purchase order finance, and supply chain finance will all be tracked on the XDC network. And this is huge. Once we get one country adopting, the rest are at a disadvantage. How do you feel about XDC being involved here? You know, I've always felt that XDC, they also have a bridge to the whole uh, R3 quarter system. So they they have, you know, I think there's a lot of potential there for XDC. It's always one of those that I felt, you know, has a place that to me, it's one of them that I always want to make sure is in my, my, one of the horses in my stable. The thing I've always, you know, had a concern with XDC is I believe there's no max supply. And for me, I like coins with max supplies. So when they don't have a max supply, I get less excited because it could always be inflated. And it could always add more. Same thing like with Casper. And I believe there's no max supply. So on things like that, I get a little like, well, this is one of the things why I love XRP, right? Is we know there's a fixed supply. You can't, you're not going to add any more BTC fixed supply. You're not going to add any more uh, Gala fixed supply. They're not going to add any more. I like fixed supplies because I know what I'm getting and I know the maximum dilution that that could could occur. So that is the only risk here. But I again, to me, XTC, they're they're all over the place. They're in they they've spreading out. They're working hard as well to get that network out there. And I think they're going to be a player in the future as well. And they've got some really big relationships with some big players. So I like XTC. I'm very bullish on XTC myself, Abs. Let's check out some of the details here before we kick it to NFT tones. SBI Holdings and TradeFinex will look to drive trade finance adoption of the Ethereum virtual machine compatible enterprise blockchain, the XDC network, through a new joint venture in Japan. And I don't think it's any surprise that this technology is starting to be leveraged in Asia. Asia is going to become dominant in the crypto market during this next bull run, if it's not dominant already. United Arab Emirates-based firm TradeFinex operates its own decentralized platform on the XDC network for trade finance originators to connect a variety of banks and lending institutions. This is aimed at enterprise use cases. TradeFinex primarily provides blockchain-based trade finance products, including invoicing, letters of credit, purchase order finance, and supply chain finance. This is how it becomes integrated with the bank's NFT tones. Any quick thoughts before we move on? I mean, it's definitely interesting to see XDC and XRP here. I mean, these are both big ISO 222 coins, and I think that this is going to be really interesting. I mean, um, in general, I feel like we're going to see more of these coins, and it's going to be really just big in general. I, I, I Can we go back to the article? So, yeah, I think Trade Finex coming to Japan is going to be really big, and like you said, next bull one, it could really increase the uh crypto in these asian territories right and i think that they could really actually take over i mean if you look what's happening with the u.s dollar i mean we i personally feel like the u.s dollar is dying and that there's going to be a new world currency to take over right and so with that happening i mean japan any other country can actually take over and i feel like it this could be really one of the ways that they're doing it 
We're about to move on to an interesting article right here, guys, as from the Secretary of State website. And this is an article from back in 2020. Nerd Nation Unbox on Twitter. I really like this account. They said, when speaking about crypto, there are two always mentioned are Bitcoin and Ethereum, except when you're trying to trash the industry. That's when you decide to mention Ripple. The Secretary of State is Anthony Blinken and his father co-founded. I actually don't think that's relevant to read. So here's the statement that they found on their website. Terrorist financiers and other criminals use the formal financial system, new payment methods such as Bitcoin and Ripple, as well as traditional methods of value to such as Hawala, which I don't really understand what that is. What they're basically claiming in this article, Johnny, is that there's two cryptocurrencies that are used to fund terror acts. And they're claiming Ripple and Bitcoin are those two currencies. So it's a little bit of an older article. It's from 2020, but I think it highlights the sentiment of the market. I love what Wheezy had to say here. He said, if you want to talk positive, mention Bitcoin and Ethereum. You want to trash the industry, mention Bitcoin and Ripple. Floor is yours. Yeah, I mean... This is the kind of stuff that when I see stuff like this, I think of when Jim Cramer used to talk about, and I thought when Yosko would talk about when companies want to see, you know, certain things go down or when they want to crash it, they would, they would FUD it, right? They would call their buddies that have news articles written up or they create these narratives and drive everything down. And it makes you wonder, you know, you know, why obviously this intention probably to buy it or because they shorted it and they want to see the price go down. To me, I mean, this the whole idea or concept that terrorist activity or drug activity is going to be done on the blockchain is probably the stupidest idea that could ever come about. Why would an illegal criminal organization want to do something that could trace it right back to them? I mean, this is dumb. I don't I mean, no. It doesn't make no sense. And that's why these articles are fake and foot articles. Because if you really put your mind to it and you say, just say you want to be a criminal. Would you actually do something that can trace something right to your doorstep or to your phone? No, I mean, it's just stupid. No, you're going to use cash. You're going to use something untraceable, gold, silver, whatever it is. You ain't going to use something that says, oh, yeah, here's the activity. It's all right here. And I mean, it's just dumb. I mean, we all know. That the way a lot of these criminals get caught is it's follow the money trail. It's always about follow the money, right? But when you're doing with cash, it's very, very hard to follow the money. If the stuff's going through banks, you know, they can kind of try to follow it. But Jesus Christ, if you're going to put it on the blockchain, follow the money. I mean, <laughs> so you might as well just, you know, you know, jump in a, a bucket of tar and feather yourself and say, here I am. Because that's pretty much how easy it's going to be able to spot you if you're going to do stuff on the blockchain. It just makes no sense. We got two articles to cover, so you got to go quick with me here at NFT Tones and Johnny. This first article is about Quant's over-ledger authority, guys. This is the most exciting article I've seen for Quant yet. The Digital Pound Foundation talked about how Quant will be taking center stage and being leveraged for two key aspects. One, authorization across systems, and two, blockchain capabilities. This is Gilbert Verdian's brainchild, which is empowering banks to seamlessly integrate and secure digital asset as well as blockchain keys. This is so important for banks, not really for retail customers, but if we're going to see a token increase in price, this is what matters. Johnny, give me some comments before we move on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is exactly right, right? You know, Gilbert understood the inner workings of what needed to be there. He worked for the central banks, and this is why I loved Quant, because I knew he was coming from that. I know we need something's going to act like TCPIP for the banks and all of that be there. And so for me, you know, I'm very, very, very bullish still on anything that's going to allow interoperability, such as things like 
Quant and Link. Quant and Link. I like both of them. Thank you, Johnny. And we're going to close this thing out with an interesting article, guys. Just give me one second to locate it right here. Um, well, I, was un- I was unprepared there, Johnny. So That's all right. While you do that, I'll just, you know, again, it's so I'll talk about this because I, you know, I love Quant, right? And I've been telling people, well, I've been saying that I hope it gets to 60, 65. And, you know, I love our, our chat group because they always remind me where we're at. We're at 85 right now on Quant Abs. We're not that far away from my 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 ultimate bottom target when I was hoping to get around 60 or 65 you know so hopefully mario's got that truck back my truck's in reverse i just gotta press the gas the gears are reverse i'm ready to load that bad boy up but even at 85 i don't think it's a bad spot to start picking up some quant frankly i i will probably be dcing in this weekend in, in some quant at that price abs I, you know, and i know you're a big quant guy too so are you dcing into quant at this point or are you kind of on hold i am not dcing into quant at the moment but not because i don't believe in it just because i don't I've purchased a lot over this bear market. There's no really no reason for me to continue. But guys, right. let's close this thing out with the last video here. Major announcement out of Cybos, a Swift event that just happened a couple of weeks ago. Switzerland will begin live transactions with a central bank digital currency at the end of this year. Here we go. Actually, two other points, but the last one is, in, in, as an FMI, we need central bank digital currency. So today, an FMI settles in central bank money for good reasons to make sure that we uh, reduce risks and counterparty risk and have a, a, a backrecy pre- remote assets for settlement. Uh, and uh, we don't have that today. So in our case, we're using tokenized Swiss franc and tokenized euro, which is things that we create based on cash that hits our account at the Swiss National Bank and that we tokenize SDX. So there's an exposure to us. The good news there in Switzerland, at least, is that we will be starting with real-life transactions in CBDC by the end of the year, meaning that the Swiss National Bank will be the entity deploying Swiss franc in tokenized form, so CBDC, on our infrastructure for settlement. So that's a barrier that is lifted. It's going to be a, a six-month trial to start with, but it's, it's promising, and I think other central banks are looking at that, and I think it's really important, at least for FMIs, uh, to, to play. And the last one is mindset. I think this is such a paradigm shift that it's, it's very difficult to, for most people in our industry to comprehend what I've just explained in my first response, the, 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 the potential of that technology. Because we're so used to what we do today that we sometimes tend to uh, not be open or able to, to look at what the potential could be in a very open-minded way. And I think that's also uh, something that will be changed through education. So, Johnny, really quick before you give your response, I want to point out in the background right here, it says Chainlink Lab. So another great project. But with two minutes left, he said a lot of information there. What was your biggest takeaway? Oh, like I said, what I told you, what's going to happen, you're going to start to see countries and, and, and companies trying CBDC trials. There's no doubt about it. And he just said it. He literally just said at the end of this year, we're going to be starting a six month trial, which means throughout half of 2024, they're just going to be learning about it, learning about technology, see how it works, the ins, the outs. That's why everybody says, do you think we're going to see uh, full adoption by 2024? No, no, there's no way you can see full adoption. You're going to see trials. A trial is not adoption. A trial is a trial. They're trying it out to see, does it work? Do we like it? Are we going to go this path? Are we going to go a different path? And then when the trials are all done, then you start to, now there's a bigger thing. Now there's adoption. Now there's getting it all, you know, now putting all the real pieces together and getting to work with other companies. And that, that, that takes another few years to happen. So, I mean, you know, we will see the trials beginning in 2024, no question about it. Now, people may call that adoption, and that's why it gets tricky. And I know we're out of time, so I can't say anymore. But in your mind, I'll just leave everybody this. You have to kind of separate in your mind adoption versus trial trial is hey i'm going to try this out an adoption is the result that comes out of the trial and that's what you see what really happened that's what we're looking to see 
Thank you so much, guys. And we're going to close this thing out by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to NFT Tones and thank you to Johnny Crypto. We got 345 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we'll see you guys in 72 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, ah, get the shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us.